Oh, hey, it's you. How's it going? Welcome to Punk Theology. Headphones in. I don't know. Maybe you're in the car. Whatever you're doing. Glad you're here. This is season three, episode number eight. I would be your host, Russ Shaw. You'll be joined by Steve and Derek momentarily. PunkTheology.net is the website, the vintage website for this here podcast. Check it out. Hey, patron, you're a patron of Punk Theology. Why not become a Patreon? I don't know. It's a page where I'm crowdfunding. This show is made possible by listeners, not by companies. We don't have a sponsor. Uh, we don't want a sponsor. <laughs> no one's going to try and sell you vitamins here or self-help life-changing products for cleaning your colon or... No, one, no, ah, no. That's the punk theology promise to you, the listener. We'd love to have you on board as a uh, monthly co-producer of this here uh, punk rock talk show thing. Um, You can do that at punktheology.net. Today on the show, a death positive new year. What's what? Um, In American culture, there's this fear based thing around death. And why would we talk about it in the new year? Because it's countercultural. See, that's some of what we do here. Let's talk about the uncomfortable thing. Why the negative stigma? Death is as natural as giving birth. Day of the Dead, for example. This two-day festival that um, is a celebration of life. And it is a realization that death is a reality in the world. And I'm going to shut up and we're going to get right into it, all right? Just put your open-minded seatbelt on and uh, something to think about. The bright side of it. The fact that we're all not going to make it. (laughs) You, you're listening to Punk Theology. Oh, yeah. We have a freaking airport right down the street. They don't go to. They don't go to Burbank. Oh, yeah. I don't even know if they go to But nobody wants to go. No, they go. They really do say that. I think of people I like in forever. Yeah, no Burbank. No Burbank. We want Burbank. Dang. Santa Ana. San Diego. San Diego, yeah. San Diego's too far. All right, travel shit. No one wants to hear about that. (laughs) So, any. We talked about resolutions before we talked about the new year. And I'm not spending two hours doing all my little things to try and figure out how to fall asleep. Yeah. Which has been really nice. I just, I wish I, like, I, wish I could just really dive Cap in. sheep. Did you cap sheep? I wish I could. No. <laughs> I had all fit. So uh, when I was coming off the medication, I really struggled. My sleep just got really bad. I ended up with some pretty severe insomnia, actually. Uh, sleeping on the floor helps. 
uh, I don't know why. I think it's actually because I get uncomfortable on the floor and it kind of hurts a little bit. Uh-huh. And so I, my body kind of focuses on its physical pain instead of its emotional pain. Oh. And uh, yeah, it, uh, I was taking cold showers. Uh, I've been taking sleep medication for a long time. But so if you're uncomfortable physically, then the emotional stuff doesn't. Some, I think that has something to do with it, where I'd be so uncomfortable about, that my body would just kind of like relax a little bit. Like, like it would just kind of focus on being slightly uncomfortable. Right. But if I was sitting in that soft bed, I'd start thinking. Uh, and then I'd be up for three hours just yeah. thinking about bullshit. And I almost wonder if that's a genetic thing, because my brother slept on the floor basically from the age of five to the age of 25. Wow. Uh, every night, he slept on the floor. My youngest brother would join him often, too. Wow. And he always talked about how he couldn't sleep in the bed. He always had to sleep on the floor. Uh, and that was something that I picked up more recently. <coughs> it, it works. You wake up feeling like shit, like my neck's all out of yeah. whack. And Sometimes I'd only sleep for two or three hours, uh, and I'd wake up and then I'd get back in bed but I'd be tired enough that I could fall back asleep right away. Right. Sometimes I'd sleep all the way through the night, uh, but I'd pay for it the next day, for sure. It, was, it wasn't very comfortable, but at least I would sleep. That's way, waking up uncomfortable is way better than spending eight hours tossing and turning and not getting any sleep and then having to spend the whole next day going through the day without any sleep. I hate that feeling. Yeah, me too. I hate that feeling so much. For me, it's dangerous because I try. Yeah, <laughs> it's like coffee. <clears throat> I've had two twenty-two ounce coffees today. Well, I I make my own cold brew, and that keeps me the fuck. Yeah, cold brew will do it. But eventually, we're all gonna go into the big sleep, right? <laughs> Which is the topic. <laughs> nice segue. You like that segue? Nice, nice. Round of applause, motherfuckers. <laughs> segue into the topic, um, Derek. Why? It's so early in the new year. Yeah, well, that's what we're thinking about. So it was actually a web comic. It's a very punk rock. So we're talking about death, kind of preparing thing. for death. Okay, it was a web. Thinking what? about it, there's a web comic. Okay. Uh, and basically, it had this long rambling thing, but the end of it was basically the idea that New Year is kind of about celebrating the fact that we didn't die. Oh yeah, that's like good. there's not really like we made it around the sun again right. like like and there's not really anything else that it's about oh, it's man. just another unit of time has passed right and it's like less like less so than your birthday even yeah like your birthday is kind of celebrating you and this is everybody on the planet kind of celebrating their own birthday but at the same time it's it's reflective yeah of the year that went by but also like hey we made it like we didn't die. Let's yes. let's all get a little bit drunk <laughs> yeah. and kiss each other. There's some, because there's some we politics in there too. Because we have this president who is like the most like low on impulse control guy <laughs> that we've had in a long time. Yeah, I think especially this year was really rough for a lot of people. Yeah. So there's a lot of relief of like fuck, like. Thank years God hasn't blown up thank, the world yeah. and started a fucking war. Thank God that we got through <laughs> this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so when I was doing some of that reflecting, it was it would have been Christmas Eve, 
or no, I mean New Year's Eve. Yeah. Uh, just thinking about the year before and, and almost getting vertigo with how much time has passed. Like, like, and how fast it feels like time goes and then, you know, people, older people like you guys telling me, oh, it just goes faster and faster and faster. Yeah, yeah. And it feels, you know, it's like climbing halfway up a cliff and then looking down and be like, oh, shit, like everything just kind of spins and there's a panic. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, I'll be 37 soon. It's basically, you know, looking at halfway there, close to halfway there. Um, and then I was just thinking a lot about that um, Richard Rohr quote about how the first 40 years of your life are setting everything up. Yeah. You know, getting your life in order, getting everything moving, setting the machine. Right. And then the last half of your life is getting ready to die. Mm. So I was spending a lot of time just thinking about. And, and I've been in different places in my life where death, the idea of death either didn't scare me at all or it really scared me. It used to be religiously affiliated. Um, I would feel, you know, really good in my salvation. Uh, religiously, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't feel like I was afraid of dying because I was expecting something better. Right. Um, I remember streets of gold. And- yeah, and uh, and since I've kind of moved away from a lot of that stuff, some of that comes up every once in a while, yeah. uh, like a panic. Mm-hmm. Um, like you might you- go to hell, kind of thing. No. Or- no, because I don't even know if I believe in hell anymore. Like, I can't right. be... It's hard to be afraid of something that you don't... More like... <laughs> that's, that's true. More like the just the, you know, fear of the emptiness, mm. if there isn't anything on the other side type of thing. Right. Um, and it's a weird... Like, from one perspective, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, I think struggling with my own insignificance is a lot big part of that. You know... Uh, there's a Calvin and Hobbes comic I love where he's sitting outside looking at the stars and he screams out, I am significant. And then, in, you know, small words said, whispers a tiny dusk speck. Like, All right. like there's something to, like, nothing I do really matters and that's okay. okay. But I have moments where I kind of get... It's cheerful nihilism. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I get lost into the in the panic of that sometimes. That's interesting. And again, it feels like vertigo, like looking down all of a sudden and like, oh shit, like what if, like, uh, yeah, what if all this comes crashing down? Or even just thinking, well, death's been on my mind a lot lately because lately because my grandpa died. Right. Um, there's some frustration in my grandpa dying just over how anticlimactic right. death usually is. Mm-hmm. Like it just. Our culture spent so much time in books and movies building up these big, dramatic, meaningful death scenes. Yeah. And uh, my grandpa was a really good guy. A lot of people loved him. And we're going to have a service and a ceremony. Was he cremated? Are they going to bury him? Or? Uh, I don't actually know. That's a good question. I guess I'll find out when I get down there. <laughs> right. But, uh, and I remember feeling this when my grandma died, too. Like... She was a really great woman and touched a lot of lives and really helped a lot of people. And feeling like going to the service was like, eh, like it just doesn't, there's not, this is a really poor summary of this woman's life. Uh, It feels really anticlimactic. And just kind of anticipating the same thing from my grandpa. Um, 
struggling with that idea. Uh, it's know, interesting how entertainers have this big thing. Like all they do is act, or when they have them on like news shows and stuff. Like I really want to know, you know, someone's opinion on you know, like fucking what is Jerry Seinfeld or something. Think of like these big events. Like who gives a shit? He's just like he asks. He's a comedian. Like. <laughs> But they have they tend to have the biggest funerals. Everybody celebrates their life because everyone's seen them. So it's almost like they're losing someone that they know. Well, it's the it's the old idea of the pharaohs, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck, I it's gotta do, I gotta yeah. do something yeah. that's gonna last a really long time, mm. and people will remember. Like it's that that pursuit of immortality through legacy. Yeah. Um, which is, but even that is so fucking empty, because we don't know a goddamn thing about those pharaohs. Not mm. really. All we know is that they built a big fucking mountain of rock. Right. But like nothing about their personality, <laughs> what they did, who they helped, who they didn't help, who they loved. The boy king. It's weird how you know in Egypt and all over the world, like you just you pop out of someone's vagina and you got power, baby. Really you know, there's something weird about that. Um, but yeah, the pharaohs and, and death and the, the weird culture around death when you're rich back in those days and today. The big, the more money you got, the bigger funeral you can afford and stuff. But even like those people's funerals, like very few people actually knew them as a person. I'm assuming yeah. the people that show up. Yeah, you spend a lot of money, but the essence of who you are as a person isn't in any of that. No, it's not. Uh, and it's all just yeah, it's 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 empty. The biggest funeral in the world is still completely lacking any of the things that really made that person a person. Yeah. Um, Did you go to Leo's funeral? I didn't. I thought that was good. Just people sharing about him. And yeah, I was just thinking about that too. Do you wonder? I wonder if he realized what he would think watching that. His own funeral. Yeah. You know, because um, that's one of the things I think back on is you know, or think forward on is what will it, what will my funeral be like? Will, will I be missed? Mm-hmm. Um, will I will I matter? Yeah. Um, or the, and the other flip side of that is well, what do I want to do before I die to prepare to die have I done everything I... yeah even that like I give myself all cyclical on that type of stuff mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. like nothing really like there's nothing that I no. re- really want to do that would make it that that I feel like I'm hung up over Right. Where if I was in my deathbed, I'd be like, "Oh, I didn't do this thing, go to this place, right. accomplish things, this thing." I used to think like that, but I don't anymore. Like I'm cool with. I think this is a really beautiful part of the world, especially when I'm you know, doing my job. I meet people from all over the world and people that moved here. I met a guy from Austria the other day who said, "He said you don't know how good you guys have it with your mountains." Like he goes, mm-hmm. "I love the mountains here," mm-hmm. and I go. Got a lot of fucking mountains in Austria, dude. Yeah. You know, and he's like, he goes, yeah, but they're really crowded. 
Yeah. And there's hundreds, there's millions of people living in Europe and right. in the mountains. Really. Even the fucking mountains are crowded. Yeah. You want to go on a hike? You don't really have to. You can catch a lift up the mountain or you don't have to hike up the mountain. Right. He goes out here, you actually have to do the work the of enjoying yeah. you the might, walk. And you can find trails where you can hike all day and see three or four people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he said. You can go an hour and be miles from anyone. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, I've kind of given up because I was the same way when I was younger, where I wanted to go do all the things and experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I still like the idea of doing that, but it doesn't feel essential yeah. or important. Uh, and just you know, spending. I think you know, if I was on my deathbed now, I'd regret not being able to be there for my kids long term. Yeah. And. That might be it. That would be the biggest... That would be my biggest concern. I think... I mean, my wife yeah. would be heartbroken, but I think she she's very capable. She'd figure it out. It's a good chance she'd meet somebody else. Uh, it'd be mostly my two kids. Yeah. Uh, and not, you know, not being able to meet my grandkids, all that potential, that unseen potential. But in terms of doing things, accomplishing things... It's less important. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like, yeah, it just doesn't have that same. Me too. And I think part of it is when I did travel, how kind of anticlimactic it was. Like once you get out there, it's like, especially when you have kids, it's like, this is kind of fucking work, you know? Yeah. Like, dear Lord. Yeah. I'm only going to be here for a few days and you're paying for the room and there's this weird part of your soul that wants the permanence of it. Like, imagine if I lived here. Holy shit. Like, you can't. Can't yeah, there's always that. That going on vacation, you're like, how do I do this all the time? Yeah, but yeah. even that would turn into a job. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So yeah. you have regrets. I have regrets. <clears throat> Preparing to die. No, I think I feel more like. So it's like playing a video game, which is weird, but like, like a role-playing game where you pick a type of character and you play it all the way through with one type of character and you really enjoyed the game playing like that but you kind of want to go back and play as a different character as well and that's not the same as regrets but I have that of like it would have been really interesting to have been the opposite of what I was right that's for um, that's mine and I and it's I don't some days I think that sounds really attractive but I don't really have the interest or the means or the desire uh, and honestly the cost of uprooting everything and completely flipping my life around isn't fucking worth it I've watched other people do that and it doesn't look all that attractive. it doesn't turn out usually like they think it's going to turn out uh, but there are yeah and I don't know if that's regret I think it's more of a curiosity of if I had taken a totally different path that would have been different type of interesting yeah. different type of fun and I kind of wish I could do that but nobody gets to so yeah, I wish I'd taken more chances when I was younger especially my uh, I was talking to one of my customers today she left uh, she's leaving tomorrow for two weeks single gal going over to uh, New Zealand and Australia to the firestorms and I said well you be careful she goes well I lived in Nepal for three years and I go you what I go, did you live with same? Did you go there with somebody? No. She goes, I just decided out of high school I was going to move to Nepal. I go, 
That's amazing. That's the kind of stuff I would like to, I wish I could have done. Been more willing to risk it. Um, I think there's probably more to that story, though. Like, I think there's some family trauma or something like that. Like, I don't know. It depends. Some you people just never just don't. know. Some people do. Just, yeah. I could have been rich on a couple of occasions. Me too. And I, sometimes, I don't know if, again, it's not regret, but there's some deep curiosity. I mean, there's a little bit of pain in thinking about those things. I remember I bought $10,000 worth of Netflix stock when it was $30. Oh, wow. And I sold it at $80, and I thought I was awesome <laughs> for making all that money. But if I hadn't, yeah, uh, it would be close. I think it's close to a million dollars now or something. No, no, it went up. The what it could have should have, yeah, right? I think it's four. It'd be four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, is what it'd be worth now. Wow. Um, and and there's a couple of moments like that in my life. And and there's a, yeah, there it's yeah. The what it should have. Um, yeah. And it's hard to think about those moments, but also realizing like if that had happened. And I'd been, you know, 28 years old or whatever with that much money. I, I could have really ruined my life, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right? Like stuff wouldn't have happened that that yeah. I really like now. Me too. I had an internet idea, and it was before the Nasdaq crash, and people are throwing around huge numbers and stuff, and I'm like, holy shit! Like this could really. But I hadn't done a lot of work, like a lot of really emotional work that I hadn't. I. I had stuffed down a lot of really traumatic shit that was coming up and just like fucking Tony Robbins, Joel Olstein, like I'm gonna right? I'm paying this this shit's paying off. I've been serving the Lord, giving my tithe, and here it comes, man, it's gonna be awesome. And then the Nasdaq crash, nobody returned my calls and and uh, yeah, that was a that was a big one. But I've been thinking about death a lot lately too. Just just in the last year my buddy Dave dying. He was fifty, same age as me. He's two months. He was two months older than me. I found out when he passed. And his wife is like devastated, you know. I mean, emotionally, but also the financial burden, you know. It's like once you cross the fifty mark or forty-eight or something like that, life insurance is like something that most people can't afford. Right. Um, but there is life insurance. Like I, I was telling my wife, we were watching. So we have the antenna now. We're watching all these antenna channels, and there's all these ads for like low cost life insurance that like cover your funeral or something like that. It's a few thousand dollars. And I was going to sign up on one. I was looking at reviews and these things, just because I don't want Dana to have to go through that. At least that financial burden would be covered, and uh, you know stuff like that. Is what I'm, I'm more think about. think about now um, too. My wife and I've already talked. Is that I'm cremated and put me in a cardboard box and then take me out in the mountains. Do you have any kind of life insurance? Hell no. Uh, we did when the stuff. kids were younger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I put me my too. thing in my will that I want to be cremated and then I want to be taken to Idaho. Yeah. And build a big like Idaho big bonfire, like. Two or three stories high. We used to do that as a kid. Mm-hmm. We'd get pallets and cable them together, and and some of these bonfires would be fucking huge. Yeah. And just like a white trash Viking, uh-huh. put me at the top of that, yeah. and just yeah. cover the whole thing in white gas, 
and light the thing off and then just have a big old party all night. Like that's yeah. and that's in my will. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's, that's, that's what that's I want awesome. to do. Um, my yeah. dad was cremated, but they have a uh, spot over at Evergreen Cemetery, and my mom was paying on it. So my dad's in the closet. <laughs> I go over there. My brother goes, "You want to see dad?" What? <laughs> He's in there on the shelf in the closet. Yeah, Tell we me. we sprinkle Misha's dad's ashes in a couple of different places. So one of them was at Disneyland. So we went to Disneyland. And I told my daughter, "Hey, right. your grandpa's arm is over there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not his whole body, just his arm." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I Dana and I were watching this thing on, on YouTube. That, that this woman, I forget her name. Dang it. But she's a she's like a LA uh, works in the coroner's office. She has a big YouTube channel and she's written a book. Um, and she was talking about Disneyland, like Disneyland people ashes dump ever. ashes yeah. like daily at Disneyland. Yeah. She goes, she, and she had a good point. Like the haunted mansion is one of the biggest ones. She goes, if there's actually ghosts that exist, Disneyland is like haunted. <laughs> <as fuck. laughs> like, so yeah. Dead people in Disneyland. Like it's date, like it's a it's a crime to dump people at Disneyland. It was funny she was saying that too. She goes, "It's illegal. Like you shouldn't do it. It's really bad." But everybody does. But just imagine <laughs> all guys? the places that you could just in the bushes over here, <laughs> or, yeah. or the pirates. Like she's in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, going, "All the lights are out. It's yeah. dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like an easy yeah. place. To dump some ashes, man. Yeah. I think I the know. thing." I ask is, will I be missed? Mm. Will I be missed? And I think I will be missed. Yeah. You know, I would uh, miss you. Derek would miss you. Well, you know, yeah, because the friends, but. Further out. Further out. Fuck you guys. A ring out. No. <laughs> I appreciate it. Because there was a time when I wouldn't think that. Okay. Nick, oh, good. He's gone. Get that sucker out of here, man. He's going to pee on our ass. Oh, man. But that's, you know, I'll be 64 next week, and uh, I, remember play, I remember playing the Ouija board when I was like nine years old, ten years old. And buddies and I were, when will we die? Oh, man, the big one. Oh, man. When Did will that, we die? Never supposed to ask that one. Oh, yeah. 67. Oh yeah. oh yeah, I still remember. Yeah, gave yourself wow. a fucking complex. Oh yeah, yeah. I still remember. <laughs> now it's on the recording. Yeah. You died that's, 67. That's three years from now. Yeah, so three I, when I was, I've died before, so that's interesting, right? I uh, I drank a half gallon of rum. I don't know if I drank the whole half gallon, but I I did, you know, I gave the old college effort. <laughs> that's insane. I broke into my stepfather's house, and he, him and my mom got divorced. He was an abusive asshole. Um, he's a long haul truck driver, so I knew he wasn't home. My friends and I go to his place. We break into his house and steal all his booze. And at 16 years old, I did my best to finish off a half gallon of Bacardi. And and I did. But, um, and there was some missing out of it. But anyway, I had an alcohol overdose. And my buddy Tom, you know, my friends are with me, and they pour me out of the car. My buddy Tom, they go, like, just leave him in the lawn. It was summer, you know, he'll be fine sleep it off or whatever. My buddy Tom noticed that there's blood coming out of my mouth, you know. And so they call Fred, who was like this tavern guy, he used to work in a tavern by his kid's beer. And Fred was like, 
No, you're going to call an ambulance and you're going to save your friend's life. If you're not going to call, I'm going to call. Tell, tell me you're going to call. He's like, Tom's like, I'm going to call. And then he's like, you're going to get in trouble. Tom's like, hey, okay, I'm going to get in trouble. So, but it, but Tom saved my life because everyone else was just like, no, he's fine. We don't want to get in trouble. I was, you know. But they said I, I was, I probably died several times on the way to the hospital. But the longest was two and a half minutes. My mom had been called like she was not too far away at a friend's house, and she was in the ambulance when I was on my way to the hospital. But yeah, for two and a half minutes they pounded on me, and and I was flatlined, dead. So. And it's funny, like, people ask me, like, did you see the light of the... Like, I was blackout drunk most of the day. I don't remember much. But going through EMDR, we went through an EMDR session. And EMDR is very subjective anyway. But I remember being up, like, up in the corner of the cab, looking down on my body, and my mom's wailing, crying. And, and he's like, this young black dude just wouldn't give up, man. He's just like, hey, you're not going to die in my car or whatever. He just kept pounding on my chest. And, uh, yeah, I'm still here today. But but it's weird that what I have with me from that experience is, you know, like some of what you guys described with mushrooms, and I've done mushrooms too, and it's like that kind of, I had that euphoric feeling for about two weeks where just everything's fine, everything's peaceful, everything's good. I didn't drink, I didn't want to get high, I just wanted to to be, you know, for about two weeks. And I'm not afraid of death anymore, you know. Heaven, hell, I don't know. Like, um, But whatever's on the other side is not, it's not something I'm frightened of. You know, really at all. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's my big thing with with hell. But but to think theologically, there's a lot of different you know theories on the afterlife. And I what I got really curious about near death experiences after that happened to me. I read a bunch of books and listened to a bunch of books and, and talks on from people that had gone through it. And, and a lot of them are similar, which is interesting. Well, it's just a you know, it's just a dream your body has when your brain's dying, Russ. Well, why are they so similar? You know, why do people have the same kind of... And some of them are negative. Like, so many people have this kind of hell-like situation going on. I've had... Uh, I've died in dreams. Well, I haven't died in my dream, but I've been to the next place in dreams. Yeah. Which I was fun because I was going like after the afterlife, like heaven or hell? Or? Yeah, I was going after my... going to find my grandpa. I kept looking for him. It was. It's been a while since I had one of those dreams. You know, I'm just running around seeing who's there, seeing who I'm hanging out with. But I, I don't fear it anymore either. Yeah. Maybe as you get closer. I know my dad does it. My father-in-law died of lung cancer about 20 years ago, and he really freaked out the night before he passed away when he realized it. My dad didn't. My dad was really peaceful. That was coming. Yeah, he was. All we were all around his room up at the up at Providence up here, and. Last thing he said to us, he opens his eyes and he goes, you guys are making me nervous. Because we were all standing around watching him. And I was, I was thinking, what was he thinking? You know, yeah. Because he had yeah. coded, my brother and mom took him and he coded in the elevator when they were bringing him up. And uh, so he knew he was going. But he was really peaceful. I mean, he just laid under the heated blankets and 
wake up every now and then talk. And we didn't yeah. say goodbye. I mean, I remember leaning How over his... He was 85. I remember leaning over his... Uh, close to him and saying, Dad, it's okay, you can go. Don't hang out of here, man. I'm yeah. get out of here. Yeah. And it yeah. was, it was, it was really, it wasn't a, there was, there was no fear. At least he showed no fear, which is kind of surprising because I think his life was, there was a lot of fear in his life. Mm. But he always masked it well. Mm. But yeah, I have no fear. Just let it go. And that conversation with Paul Young, we talked a lot about hell. And there's a lot of talk in theological circles. A lot of, a lot of younger Christians today don't believe in hell. Which is scrambling the minds of the older theologians or pastors that are trying to. Well, how do we? How do we? Because I think I think the zeitgeist of psychology has helped with that too. Because we realize now that telling you you're going to hell doesn't necessarily help you. Like someone like myself, I was. They were trying to scare me with hell, and I just assumed, oh well, fuck, I can't change. So I guess I'm going to hell, which was made things even worse. Um, the more you shame someone, that doesn't tend to change their behavior. They tend to dig their heels in. So, um, but yeah, Paul Young talking about you know I hope all the horrible murderers and rapists and they do go to hell, but that hell is burning off everything that is not of love's kind in them. I saw this interesting thing the other day. It said if Satan was really evil, he'd reward the worst people when they went to hell. Mm-hmm. Like you'd put Hiller up in a suite somewhere, right? right. Like, good job. Like you really fucked some shit up. <laughs> right. Like, it doesn't make sense that he would punish the worst people the most yeah. if he was truly evil, right? Well, that's a, th- there was a, a Outer Limits. Was it Outer Limits or, or one of those shows? They did a whole Twilight, Twilight, Twilight Zone, yeah, where the guy, the went thief. Went to Jackpot every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's hell. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I talk, that's great divorce type of thing, too. Yeah, the great divorce. Anything you want, whenever you want, and it gets really boring really fast. Yeah, and exactly. And you get tired of people. Yeah. And hell becomes that. And so so maybe as I get older, I'm more accepting of a, a reincarnation type of scenario. And, and when I was younger, I'm not sure I would... Like, if I knew, if I thought I believed in reincarnation when I was younger... It's like a video game, like you were talking about earlier. Like, just fucking respawn, baby. <laughs> yeah. This life sucks. Just fucking end it and then respawn as something greater. I don't know how I about reincarnation. That idea really? kind of scares me. It's in, the, it's in the fucking book of Job. Like, there's that line in the book of Job. I don't want to be says, an ant. And it doesn't make sense my, mathematically the because the, in the as far as stuff. humans go, the pyramid keeps growing, and if you're getting re- reincarnated, like it doesn't make sense that you would. What are you going to be two or three people? I don't know. That seems like all. And I feel like I kind of won the jackpot in terms of my life now. Like I have a lot of privilege. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like statistically speaking. Yeah. My life. Mine too. Could have been way fucking worse. Yeah. I don't know that I want one of those. Like that's that's kind of an arrogant, <laughs> like, but like I, that's I'm, I think I'm some of my moments. I think that like right. shit. I don't want to be naked. I'll like, leave this world naked. I shall return. That's the Book of Job. And there's a lot of old like Jewish scholars that thought that the Book of Job was more than one lifetime, even. But yeah, I, I get you. Going back even a hundred years ago. What a sucks. What a fucking horrible. Yeah. Being a king five hundred years ago, yeah. your life was way worse than it, than than the poorest American is now. Right. 
I love right. to walk through old graveyards, and here in Everett, most people didn't live past 50 years old. Right. They were all, you know, it's about 50 years of the life. Well, I just saw a I heard a stat ago. this week that the last three years, males' lifespan is is shortening. Yeah, in the U.S. Uh, yeah, we're last three years. I can't remember the number. The years yeah. it's it's declined. white men mostly, yeah. but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. it's because of opioids. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, that's probably a big part of it. But that also is a problem, kind of a problem of things being too good. <laughs> Yeah, like you can get really, really good drugs for really cheap. Yeah, and uh, why wouldn't you? Exactly. What's that line in the prayer or oh, the Lord's Prayer? We, you know, Jesus says, "Pray like this," and then He says, uh, um, "Daily bread." Right. Yeah. Give us this day or day. Everyone today, like, you know, I'm pretty in a in impoverished situation right now, but. It's not that bad. Even right. in our poor not, people. You're not sitting there wondering where you're going to eat tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. What garbage can are you going to dive in? Yeah, no. Now, if you get into opioids, that could be a situation that you, <laughs> yeah. that's for, for real. Right. But. You know, I kind of guess I'm kind of that role or that place where we are where we are and almost as we are where we're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, uh, not stressing. I'm trying to come to peace with that, you know, not stressing where I'm not, but at least I'm not stressing where I'm where I could be, kind of like what you're just talking about. You know, I'm not. It could be so much worse. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I got two kids that love me. I got a wife that loves me. Soon to have a dog that's gonna love me. You're a white male. White male. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's yeah. punch lottery ticket right there. That's right. Amen. Um, song lyrics. Do we have any song lyrics that? that no, I, do I think about this is the end by the Doors, but that's a pretty dark song. Yeah, it's a really dark song. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so the lyrics for Lazarus from David Bowie from his album Black Star, which is I think my personal favorite album of David Bowie. All right. Uh, it's really good. It's really dissonant, but he was. Dying, he was dying. Composed there it. was no tour for Blackstone. Yeah, and uh, because he passed and away. It, it was some people call it one of the greatest uh, performance art pieces ever because mm. he released it and then died, mm -hmm. and this was kind of like a last words, last rites album. Right. Not many people have done that. Um, he kind of wrote his own obituary almost. Right. Uh, mm. But lyrics to Lazarus open up. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got star scars that can't be seen. I've got drama can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now. Look up here, man, I'm in danger. I've got nothing left to lose. I'm so high it makes my brain whirl. Drop my cell phone down below. Ain't that just like me? By the time I got to New York, I was living like a king. There I used up all my money. I was looking for your ass. This way or no way, you know I'll be free. Just like that bluebird. Now ain't that just like me? Oh, I'll be free, just like that bluebird. Oh, I'll be free, ain't that just like me?
That song was called Timeless by Lauren Dusky. Thanks for listening to Pun Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't check it out! First of all, I plead innocent of all charges.